0: So I want to start today's podcast talking about a problem, and you know I'm a positive guy. I'm a can-do guy when it comes to SNL, but we got a problem. Now, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I want to talk about it at the top because these episodes that we just had in, uh, in March are really, really important to this problem. It's the star problem. So SNL has an amazing number of cast members right now, and they're all amazing. You guys know I love this cast. I love everyone in the cast. I love almost everyone in the cast, but I love pretty much everyone in the cast. And there are so many of these people. They're just so talented. But the problem is we don't have many stars. We really have one star in the cast, Kate McKinnon. And why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because when we needed Donald Trump, we go outside. When we need uh, need a Sean Spicer, we go outside. And this is becoming a problem. So what does that mean for, for the cast? What I think we're looking at as we sort of now go into the remaining few episodes, we're really on the back end of of this of the season. If I'm a cast member on the show, being really good is not going to be good enough because let's face it. Lauren's got to clean house a little bit. It's so clear that he needs to take more shots with more featured players to see who is going to be a star. Is Mikey Day going to be a star? We don't know yet. Is Alex Moffat or Melissa Vias and you're going to be a star? We don't know yet, but we know that of the remaining cast, we know as great as they are, Kate's a star and probably Keenan's a star. But other than that, Nobody has a character that we're all dying to see. Nobody has an impression that is so good that even though we don't know who the impression is of, we can't wait to see it because they're so good. And that's gonna happen. So this is my begging, begging, pleading to the cast members of SNL, which is go for broke in April and May. Don't try to hit doubles and singles for your own sake. Just swing for the fences. And I'd rather you see you take a hard... Horrible miss, and we'll talk about the chocolate man from the Octavia Spencer episode in a little bit. But, you know, but hey, Beck, you took a huge swing and I am so proud and so glad to see it because there's gonna have to be a bloodletting. And if you want to survive the bloodletting, you got to at least take that shot of being a star and being a star is what is the is what SNL is in its DNA. SNL is about Eddie Murphy and it's about Mike Myers and it's about John Belushi and it's about Will Ferris and we need and we've got Kate we're probably going to lose Keenan eventually we got to find our next star so is Pete Davidson the next star let's find out in the next couple of months is Cecily Strong going to finally sort of cross that threshold and be a star I don't know Leslie, Jost, uh, Leslie Jones can she be more than what she is now and start playing actual characters that we can't wait to see again I still haven't seen it so that's the challenge but we're here we're watching and whatever you guys do we're gonna talk about it on the snl recap podcast and i am your host rich tackenberg joined as always by my partner in crime mr mike bloom
1: i have my cheerios and my capri sun rich i down that <laughs> during your entire monologue so i might be a little hyperactive but i'm excited as always to be with you and talking about snl in a in a month that maybe did not have two of the greatest episodes of the season as you just sort of alluded to Yeah,
0: so let's sort of dial the clock back, not an hour, which really blew my mind. By the way, quick shout out to the fact that when SNL doesn't refer to the clocks changing an hour in weekend update, I forget about it. That's what it, that's <laughs> how my life revolves around. That's where I get my that's where I get my clock spring forward and spring back news. So I was I was surprised this morning to have lost an hour of sleep. But we're going to go back all the way to Octa- Octavia Spencer. Let's take 30 seconds and just talk about it overall. Uh, Mike, what's your sort of overall take on on the episode and sort of how, how you felt about it?
1: I was so confused because they had half a month off, and part of me was kind of saying, this is what you come back with? Octavia Spencer, we talked about this at the end of February, she's got a lot of comic chops. I mean, as she says in her monologue, she's played the comedic nurse in 16 different times. She clearly has a resume coming in here, even though she's more known for her dramatic work. But the writing did not meet the performances here. I thought there were a lot of either half-baked ideas or an idea that you might get from like a tangent on a stand-up bit. And then decide to put into a sketch. It it just did not work for me. So that definitely, you know, going back to my always correct SNL rankings, Octavia Spencer is near the bottom of the sixteen hosts we've had so far. She is in at number thirteen, below Emily Blunt and above John Cena. So that goes to show what I thought about her episode. It Ooh. uh, it was it was it was not an abysmal disaster like Felicity Jones or did Cumberbatch, but it was tough to really find any gold from what we were panning through for the next hour and a half.
0: Yeah, I felt for me similar. I felt like Octavia Spencer certainly uh, did no harm to the show, but for whatever reasons, I don't think that she, you know, first time club uh, didn't necessarily add a lot to the show, which is always hard. You're dealing with cue cards. You're dealing with jokes that are changing. You're dealing with live TV. But I do think that the hardest part here was the writing, not necessarily the performances. I thought there were a lot of uh, sketches and and pre-taped pieces that started interesting and they had And the first joke was kind of funny. And I went, okay, I'm in. And then we just saw the same joke repeated over and over and over again. And I thought that really started to sort of uh, weigh us down a little bit. So I agree with you. Not sort of the most illustrious start to March, uh, but sort of to jump in. uh, We did something, a theme of March, which I give huge credit to the writers for probably because they listen to the podcast. I think that's the only Mm -hmm. reason, which is taking a political current event character and instead of just recreating uh, something that had happened during the week we put them in a new situation which I'm a big fan of here we're trying to now make a make a meal out of Jeff Sessions who we had seen previously in uh, the cold open with Melissa McCarthy and Sean Spicer here we're going to see Jeff Sessions the character sort of hold his own and sort of uh, and be uh, the the lead in a sketch which is going to be a Forrest Gump uh, uh, you know, redo uh, with Jeff Sessions Sessions, um, and again, I thought this was more fun than funny. I don't think, as much as I love Kate McKinnon, I don't think that the Jeff Sessions impression itself is big enough that I necessarily thought uh, I couldn't wait to see it, or there was anything about it that was funny. Um, so, uh, and it was, it was making fun of clearly an iconic movie, but a movie that was that I saw in the theaters twenty three years ago. So I'm hard mm-hmm. pressed to remember any of the specifics. Specific beyond Box of Chocolates and Run forest Run. So I think there were a lot of references that I didn't get, and I was in the theater when this movie first came out.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was a basic mapping game to start out. Like you said, we sort of hit the highlights that came with Forrest Gump, but to sort of paraphrase the quote you always attribute to Lorne Michaels, why Forrest Gump? Why do you feel like you need to take Jeff Sessions and apply him to this piece of pop culture? It's not exactly a a one-to-one comparison. It's not similar to, you know, when everyone said, "Oh, Larry David looks Larry David looks like Bernie Sanders," and then they decided to sort of merge the two together. This one kind of came out of left field. I thought this one also maybe went on a little too long. It was paced very oddly where, you know, we say comedy usually comes in threes. So then we had three people sitting on the bench and then we have the whole Putin reveal, which I thought was funny, but maybe could have came a little earlier. But then there's an appearance after that, sort of like a, a, a you know a, a coda at the end with Octavia Spencer appearing as Minnie from The Help. Which I also wonder for those individuals out there who have not seen either Forrest Gump or The Help, they must have hmm. been completely confused out of their mind because they have no idea why people are hooting and hollering except for the fact that Octavia Spencer's there. That being said, once she appeared, I kind of saw that joke coming from a mile away of like, oh, yep, she's known to bake poop into pies from her Oscar-winning role. She has a pie in her lap. We know what's going to happen. I thought, you know, we're going to be talking about McKinnon as Jeff Sessions twice tonight. And I, it's actually interesting tracking her progression of this impression from, you know, the Sean Spicer sketch, as you mentioned, from February into this, into what I thought was a much stronger appearance on Weekend Update, where she sort of morphed this persona into like, a mischievous little elf man rather than sort of what she did here, which was just a blank Forrest Gump slate. So this is sort of like the the puberty state of the Jeff Sessions impression. I thought it was fine, but sort of questioned why it existed and why it went on for as long as it did.
0: Yeah, I think why it existed is probably really about if you don't have Alec Baldwin available to you and you want to do pop culture, what are your choices? You know, I think that, you know, other than going back to a Putin cold open, I think they're I applaud them for trying in trying to go, OK, how do we open up the aperture a little bit and where do we go? But I agree with you. And and also, as you alluded to, the fact that it was four people on the bench, A, I don't think that the Jeff Sessions works as well when it's monologuing to someone as opposed to sort of the character work uh, with another uh, actor but also because we're in live TV we have to do sort of this bus overlay graphic to switch people and those couple of seconds when it's not killing and we're not going into the bus transaction with just the entire audience bowled over in laughter you can feel that lag of oh get to the next one like I'm <laughs> I'm so ahead of it I just sort of want to get to the next one so mm-hmm. uh, that said a couple of funny things I like that he said Kellyanne ain't got no legs from the photo of her kneeling yeah. on the thing which was going to be a bit of a they showed that photo which i thought was odd that they showed a photo of it uh in the cold open but we're going to see it's a very subtle runner that we're going to oh, see through the show which love i love that yeah. I, I
1: i don't know if we'll have an opportunity to talk about it because it's again it's, it's a runner but i'm always a big fan of when what you sort of alluded to with your plea to the cast in your cold open monologue of how I just love when SNL tries new things, when they do a Daryl's place, when they do the post-sketch conference. And this is another example of it. Uh, It really, you know, we forget sometimes that SNL is a sketch show, not necessarily just a series of sketches. And I feel like the show doesn't often capitalize on that serialization. So to have this runner of Kellyanne appear in random places, I think, was just a really nice, subtle thing to do throughout this episode. And I hope they do more of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's go into the monologue. Octavia Spencer is a first time host. I got to say, I thought, you know, interesting that, you know, if you don't remember, basically, she basically just does a monologue. She as a, as a non comedian and not known as a comedic actor, she basically just reading off cue cards, performs a very straightforward monologue, couple of, you know, comedic premises here that I thought were fine. Um, I thought the whole thing was very pleasant. It was, it was uh, appropriately not the longest and i gave her sort of huge credit for just uh, sort of going for it and not relying on a song relying on other cast members to come in and do the heavy lifting relying on a cameo from a you know from something to sort of give a big applause break i thought that she held her own you know nothing that i'm going to go back and and uh, and remember a year from now but i thought she did a nice job hosting the monologue uh, even with her resting nurse face
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was short and sweet, which was nice. And as you said, I think she set herself up to be a, a pretty solid performer, which again, will show throughout these sketches. And she does have that direct connection to the Oscars as well, considering she was there when the big kerfuffle happened. So I like those illusions as well. But not much else to say about it it was very short and of course it made some room for you know maybe we hoped in retrospect that it was a little longer so maybe one of these other sketches could have gotten pushed out <laughs> in lieu of it
0: yeah we could have used a couple more jokes so so we go to our first of three pre-tapes tonight the republican movie trailer um uh, you know which i you know the, the premise of this being this is the you know the the historical uh you know a uh, um fictional film about the one republican who stood up to the craziness of donald Trump but it's still TBD because we don't know who it's going to be um, I thought that they did this well I felt like this was a one note sketch a one joke yep. sketch that knew that it was a one note joke sketch and it knew that it was like we're just going to hit it here we're going to hit a little to the left we're going to hit a little to the right we're going to hit a little from the top we're going to hit a little from the bottom and then we're going to get out uh, so I thought that there was a lot of fun uh, you know a lot of fun stuff here as opposed to maybe the US customs pre-tape we had seen in the Christmas Kristen Stewart earlier in the year, which I felt like didn't quite know what it was trying to be. This I felt like was shorter and therefore sort of more cutting, a a really sort of more incisive blow. Um, Not that anyone cares, but I thought that it it, it sort of landed for me about, you know, is someone going to step up and sort of call out, you know, the craziness that's going on?
1: Yeah, I thought, as always with these pre-tapes, the production quality was great and, you know, the tone was created very nicely. I personally thought there were diminishing returns with the TBD, uh, especially when they kept elongating exactly what, you know, I thought the TBD was a nice filler, but then to do, you know, TBD reasoning or, you know, TBD moment of of silence, what have you. I thought maybe we didn't need to do that again and again and again, but it was innocuous enough, which again, I think is high praise for some of the stuff we're about to talk about in this episode.
0: Yeah, cuz you know we we come out of that we go to the the first, you know, live sketch post monologue which is the the drug company hearing uh about the uh about the employee who feels like, you know, uh the drug names have been stolen from her. Uh this I felt like was a one note joke sketch that did not know that it was a one note joke sketch. Uh and uh and again sort of out of the out of the gate when we're talking about Seasonique, the drug Seasonique and we meet her niece Seasonique Williams. I thought Oh okay it's an interesting play on you know uh you know the perception that that you know that some people black people often you know have names that you know are made fun of and maybe they're like Joyce, okay interesting sort of mapping bit and then we just ran through drug names i mean that i feel like if you handed me the premise i could have written the rest of the sketch because it was there i felt like it didn't zig it didn't zag there were no surprises it was just uh it just was what it was and i don't know that any of the performance Performances sort of elevated it. So for me, this was uh, it, it, cute, and then started to get a little rough for me.
1: Yeah, this is sort of what I alluded to before. This felt like a stand-up bit that like Sashir Maida would do in her special of like, hey, did you notice that you know, clinical prescription drugs sound like black women's names? And then they decided to turn that into a sketch. It didn't necessarily translate for me, just because there was sort of one voice. There really wasn't that much for lack of a better term, diversity going on in terms of opinions. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one thing I will point out is I liked – I did like when they – I know you said you didn't like them running through the names of the drugs, but that one thing that they do with Sashir and Octavia where they're just sort of listing through the names, then it ends on Simbalta. Oh, she's trouble, but she's fun. I thought that was just a yeah. nice little cap yeah. on it. But, yeah, this is – it was very one-note. It went on for a little too long, and the fact that this was the first live sketch after the monologue, that this is the much-coveted spot, might have been a harb- harbinger of uh, some some not-so-nice stuff to come.
0: yeah. Yeah, so uh, we go into another pre-tape, which is "Girl at the Bar." Uh, Here, you know, Cecily Strong is waiting for uh, waiting for A.D. Bryant, and while she's waiting at the bar, a series of real nice guys, uh, sort of real anti-Trump, pro-Hillary, pro-feminist movement uh, men, are going to sit down and have uh, very warm conversations with her until she turns them down, and then they call her a bitch and storm off. Um, Again, the first time this happened, I saw it sort of saw it coming but thought it was fun enough uh, you know like okay that back piece was sort of cute and that he sort of played it well and then when he uh, leaves and uh, and Kyle sits down it to me felt like oh well I think we know where that's going to go and then it just sort of played itself over and over again so you know I, I feel like I was getting a little bit worn out from sort of the uh, from mm-hmm. the, 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 the repetitiveness of the sort of first three sketches in a row. So, uh, I don't know. For me, nothing to write home about here.
1: I really have to commend Cecily Strong and Beck Bennett for like the first quarter of this. uh, Yes. This tape before the reveal because... That is some of the most grounded, realistic acting I've seen on SNL in quite some time. And, you know, it's, it's rare sometimes you find these comedians who don't exactly do serious acting, and so it's tough to put them in those situations. But Cecily and Beck were really game for it, so that when that reveal actually happened, you know, when Beck turns from the this- uh, the caringness this guy to be like, bitch, why can't I just nut? It's, it just it makes it really funny. <laughs> but then I agree, this has sort of been... I mean, we're all almost being repetitive with, with how repetitive these sketches get, where they're just sort of going through the motions again and again and again. Even when we get to A.D. Bryant as the friend that shows up at the end, I think we all kind of knew where it was going to go. Yes. It changed things up quite a bit, but I mean, I can't... I cannot definitely knock this sketch for not doing anything new with it, but I do feel like the performances were very committed, which again is something we don't usually see on SNL, so I have to give them props for that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I thought they did it. They definitely did a great job. Yeah, and everyone in this did a nice job. So, uh and I also like the fact that, you know, even though it's going to be a bit of a theme, I mean, this we're going to see a uh this uh, sort of underlying um, premise seen again at the end of, uh, of, of next week's show. Uh, so it's a little repetitive, but I do like what we're seeing in these two sketches is, okay, we're clearly going after Trump. We're clearly going after Jeff Sessions. But by the way, we're also going to give it to the, to the liberals uh, a bit here and there. We're going to take some some actual shots at them as well, which I sort of appreciated that they did.
1: Absolutely. I mean, let's move now into what I feel like is probably the sketch of the night, the Zoopolis recording.
0: You know, I guess it is for me the sketch of the night almost by default, but I, I yeah. you know, Damning uh, with faint praise. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I thought this was, you know, we've seen there's so many different ways that SNL will do the sort of revolving door of uh, of sketches. And and this is certainly a different one. I will say that, and, and we'll, you know, we're talking about, you know, Zoopolis, they're doing a recording and they're going to have three voiceover actors have to just sort of lay in a couple of lines of famous celebrity. So a very easy, a reason to just see very funny people do their the impressions that they do well um you know that said i think that one of the things is you know you can really see the power of hair and makeup in doing impressions that is sort of stripped away here uh and and i think that in some of these impressions it, it's it, it was really missing to not have that um but that said i thought you know it was was fun to just sort of see 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 the run through
1: I mean, I guess I might give it just high regards because I was so ecstatic to see Melissa Villasenor finally do her thing. As, as someone who had followed her intermittently, probably not as much as a listener, Johnny D. Silvera of her work outside of SNL, including her time on America's Got Talent, I was waiting episode after episode for her to be able to finally flex her muscles. She got a little bit of it uh, in the bedroom talk on the Aziz Ansari episode, but even then, you know, she did an Owen Wilson impression, but that's pretty much it. I have no idea if she wrote this sketch or if they just sort of said, you know, hey, Octavia Spencer can do some impressions. Great. Melissa, you go ham on it. And she really did. I mean, the the ones that I probably had the most admiration for were the ones that were either not easy or the ones that not a lot of people do. I remember one of the first videos that I saw of Melissa on YouTube was her doing a Kristen Wiig impression, which is so... I mean it it's it's really sticks out because nobody nobody thinks that Chris Wake has such a distinct voice that everyone's been doing them you know, for the past few years. So between that, I feel like the Julia Louis Dreyfus one just
0: Excellent. knocked it out of the park. Excellent. Yeah. And, her, yes. and
1: her, her her Kate McKinnon as well was great and it really shows that sort of like Jay Farrow, that she's really able to just sort of study the people around her and pick up on their vocal tics and mannerisms, which really shows a lot of talent. And not to shirk too much on, you know, Octavia Spencer and Alex Moffat. I thought they both did pretty good jobs. I thought Alex did a pretty good Hugh Grant. I don't know who Bill, Bill Walton is, but 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 I guess he he was probably good at that as well. Keenan does a surprisingly good Tracy Morgan. Maybe he got some experience off of him when they were doing the Beyonce's twins sketch um, a month ago. But I mean, I guess for me, Melissa was such a bright, shining star in this sketch that everything else kind of glowed around it as a result
0: yeah and I thought I I agree and I'd like to see more sort of sketches where she can do more instead of just sort of running through a line or two I I love uh, Mark in New York City uh, him and I were talking uh, beforehand about how interesting it is that you know in this sketch you've got you know of the list of impressions it was for SNL alumni that you really you know how rarely uh, we were talking about you know uh, Jimmy Fallon used to do uh, Adam Sandler and I think uh, I think someone used to do an Eddie Murphy but other than that it's so rare to see sort of SNL making fun of SNL which we're going to see again next week in a very surprising way as well uh, when we get to when we get to the Scarlett Johansson episode but I just I always find that fun I like them sort of calling that out and I thought the Kate McKinnon one was very short but was was really fun
1: yeah so hopefully she'll be able to pull that out a couple more times hopefully it doesn't mean that you know Louis C.K. is not going to be able to do impressions, so hopefully they don't have to wait for another host to do it. Hopefully Melissa can do something. I do feel like there are these times with the featured players where they get an opportunity to just sort of do their thing. I'm thinking of John Rednitsky doing his, uh, his ode to Dirty Dancing on Weekend Update last season, and that was pretty much mm-hmm. all he did. No idea if Melissa is going to survive this season. I'm sure we'll talk about it at the end of it, but if she does, we can at least point to this and say this is the reason why they keep her.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. So, uh, you know, if I were, you know, if I were Melissa, I would try and desperately to figure out what, you know, public figure I can, you know, she's such a good, the thing I like about her impressions is it's not just, you know, Jay Farrow, we used to say sometimes was eerily and spookily accurate but not necessarily funny I feel like her impressions really bring like the the, the Kristen Wiig and the Julia Dreyfus sort of were inherently funny as well as accurate and I'd love to see her bring that to someone who's really in the public eye I think part of the problem right now is when you do Kathy Griffin and Owen Wilson and you know you did a great uh, um, Hillary Clinton but you you know that was already taken you need to have that big person that sort of that the show wants to be talking about anyway, so I hope that she finds that
1: absolutely. And I will say that this next sketch coming up, Young Blood, I did enjoy as well. This is definitely the peak of the episode. With you know the, this, everything else on the other two sides of it, very precipitously below the standard of these two sketches.
0: Yeah, I th- and, and again, I hate to sort of be the, the 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 wet blanket of the episode today, but I thought this was f- this was cute. But uh, it was actually a bit hard to get through a second time, uh, as I often try to watch the shows twice. Once you sort of know where it's going, uh, you know the sort of the the, the 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 premise is a fun one, and the idea that the old sage, uh, you know, chess playing black man at the park is actually an idiot who doesn't know how to play chess was absolutely lovely, but uh. It, I don't know that it was necessarily went anywhere, um, but it, but I definitely enjoyed the tone. I enjoyed the performances. I will say I thought the editing was very good. I thought the pacing, mm-hmm. it never left me sort of like, uh, okay, you know, just get to the end already. I thought that they, they they paced it very well, even though once we kind of knew that he didn't know anything, once, you know, he, you know, thought that, uh, you know, the the something was, uh, you know, the, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, you sort of get it. I, I thought it was okay. Uh, But again, it's sort of, you know, as you said about uh, the Republican piece, I definitely felt like it was diminishing returns.
1: I do wonder if we needed Octavia Spencer in that sketch. At first, she just sort of seemed like a random old woman to sit down and comment on the scene. And I wasn't sure if the sketch was about her. You do have that really nice moment where it cuts to that extended pause where she's just giving Keenan that look. Maybe that's the sole reason why she would be in it. But otherwise, you know, we have our straight man. We have our crazy man. I don't think we need, you know, going, going into improv terms, if you're doing a walk-on in an improv scene, you should be able to add to the game and not just be another straight man. You know, you should be able to help create this craziness that's going on. And she just served as a second straight man. So I found her kind of superfluous. Keenan is always doing a great job here. I do feel that after the reveal... The the absurdity that came with him trying to figure out chess was good. The one highlight I have is him pulling out the troll doll and saying, some <laughs> yeah. sometimes there can be two kings and just Pete's growing incredulousness with and realization that this man has no idea what he's talking about, I thought was interesting. I did not watch it on a second time through. So with those sketches that do have big reveals and benefit from that, I do wonder how much of it is good on a rewatch. So I can understand if you know it's not as fresh the second time around because you know from the outset what Keenan's character is like
0: Yes, no, I agree. I agree. So, uh, but definitely fun, definitely fun, which uh, sort of brought us into uh, uh, our musical act. And uh, speaking and, of fun, yeah, yes. So, Father John Misty, which I will, this will not shock anyone. I had not heard of before it was announced he was going to be hosting. Uh, although uh, 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 our friend of the show, Mark, brought up this one of two very interesting factoids that I did not remember. That uh, if the name sounds vaguely familiar to you, in the Aziz series. Masters of None. There's an episode where Aziz is deciding which girl to take to a, a super secret indie show concert oh, yeah. uh, with a hot girl or the friend, and it is to go see Father John Misty. Apparently, is according to Mark. So, sort of fun there. So, uh, apparently, uh, uh, one of the one of the uh, folks in my office, one of the the one of the coordinators, uh, she's a big fan of Father John Misty. So, I got to listen a little bit. So, I didn't have high expectations. Thought the first song, uh, Total Entertainment Forever, was fine. Uh, it was just like, okay, that's sort of what I thought. Uh, and then his second song, Towards the End of the Night, Pure Comedy, for me was the highlight of the entire show. I uh, have watched it three times. Uh, I think that he seems like he is probably the biggest pain in the A ever. <laughs> he is probably someone that if I had to have a meal with, I would be uh, you know going out of my mind. Uh, but boy, that second song for me was just something else. I, I thought he just knocked it. of the park.
1: I mean, this guy totally looks like a Looney Tune. Uh, He has the interesting look of, you know, the mustache and the slicked back hair, and his look for his second song is a jacket and a half-buttoned shirt, and You know, the very first lyrics I hear from Father John Misty in this episode are betting Taylor Swift inside of the Oculus Rift. That's a great sign, I think, of what his general aesthetic is. But it definitely was one of the most interesting musical performances I've seen on SNL in a while. And interesting in a good way in that it sort of had me wrapped at attention, especially the emotional aspects he puts into that second song it almost seems like he's acting the song he's putting his head in his hands and he's dancing around and it seems like he's really in a lot of pain which i think you know makes for a much more electric performance than someone who just sort of stands there stark still and sings into a microphone the entire time so i have to give him that much credit Uh, his music might not necessarily be my thing but he just seems like such an interesting artist from the glimpse i got into his music
0: yeah definitely definitely so so good on nice pleasant surprise from uh, from the father so that was fun uh and then we go into weekend update uh which i thought you know was fine it was interesting i think both weekend updates i uh i enjoyed the jokes probably more than i enjoyed the jokes in uh february um but i didn't really write anything down which is always a bad sign when there wasn't much the only thing i wrote down with my favorite joke was because it was so bad when they talked about the uh, the guy who's suing you too, and he said oh, he yeah. has to worry because his his lawyer is working pro bono, which I thought was such a bad joke that I loved it. Yeah. Um, but overall, I thought it was I, I thought that the the you know in general they uh, they just hit way more than they missed, and and it was solid. Just I thought solid jokes.
1: Yeah, I mean the big um, onus, I guess, of che and Jost this week was about the whole. Trump tweets about the wiretapping and also jab at Arnold Schwarzenegger after he decided to leave the Celebrity Apprentice. So that, of course, was the top story. There was an interesting sort of change, I feel like, in Colin Jost, at least this show and the next show that we're going to talk about. I mean, I feel like he's getting more gas from the crowd. He's getting more groans from the crowd. And it's interesting to sort of watch his evolution from when he first came on a couple years ago. And people were complaining, you know, just a Seth Meyers clone, hashtag fire Colin Jost. But I feel like he's starting to become a little... I don't want to use the term raunchy, but he's starting to, as you alluded to again in that opening monologue, he's starting to to try to hit more line drives and hit balls farther and farther yep. into the weekend update ballpark, which yep. as, the pro, as the pro bono joke shows, not all of them will land. But the fact that he's enticing such an interesting reaction from the crowd is not something that we didn't really see that much in the Myers era or in Polar or in Fallon or in Faye. So you have to say he's at least unique in that regard.
0: Yeah, and his reaction to the Bono joke I thought was really great. You know, Dennis Miller used to always say Johnny Carson every once in a while would almost intentionally, uh, you know, uh, approve a joke that he knew would tank so that he could have a great reaction to it. And I I almost felt like that was the move with Jost of like, I'm going to throw out this real groaner so that I can sort of, uh, you know, uh, have that reaction, which I thought was very funny.
1: Yeah, and again, we talked about this, I believe, in the January episode, Michael Che. Has some very interesting takes on the government. Again, uh, I did not see too, too much the day after, but I could totally imagine Michael Che's big rant about how he actually kind of feels bad for Kellyanne Conway, saying that she's essentially the customer service for Donald Trump. I could certainly see some people take that the wrong way. But again, I do have to admire that... Obviously, there are, I think, some things in this administration that at least the late night comedians have been able to make a meal out of. I'm glad that in a show that airs at the end of the week that has the perennial problem of how do we make things funny that people have already been laughing about for the past week, is able to kind of take things from a different point of view that makes you think a little bit and also laugh at the same time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought she did a nice job. He did a nice job with that, yeah. Um, uh, You know, so we get to see, as our first correspondents, Don Jr. and Eric Trump show up uh, as correspondents. So usually we see them as sort of bits within bits. This time they're going to sort of get to be featured, which I was sort of interested that we've never seen these two characters enough to know, okay, what's going to be sort of the hook? What are we going to sort of go with here? Uh, And I think what I had assumed they were going to do based on, uh, you know, some of the previous sketches is that Don jr is the smart one. And Eric is the dumb one. Uh, And instead we get a variation on that, which is Donald is the, this is is the responsible adult. And Eric is basically a child and, uh, and we're going to treat him like a child. So, you know, for me, I thought this was, uh, you know, it was very harmless. I thought, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as it, it is, it is by far as far away as you can get from cutting incisive commentary on the political landscape um, you know, but just as dumb jokes go, I thought this was really cute and I thought the two guys did a nice job. Uh, it made me want a juice pack as well. Uh, but I thought it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, you know, definitely a, a, a fun piece watching the two of them, uh, and, and sort of waiting for the Erica sort of, you know, uh, exclamations to sort of break up the pieces.
1: Yeah, and again, good on Alex Moffat and Mikey Day here. You know, we've been sort of singing their praises, I think, the past couple months about the fact that as featured players, they're still able to kind of carve their own paths within this ensemble. And I mean, you know, Mikey Day has been doing some great stuff. Alex Moffat's going to show up quite a number of times in these couple of episodes, which is not usual among featured players. I mean, let's even look at Melissa Senor for another example of the exact opposite I do like the the sort of uh, narrative they were building. Good on Alex Moffat for being able to essentially down an entire Capri Sun over the course of twenty seconds, which is very admirable. And I sort of like the leap it takes at the end when you know Donald Don Jr. says the only people making decisions for the Trump organization are Eric and myself and Dad. I think again those those yeah. Eric sort of yes. exclamations at the end they were. Leading us, they're, they're building them with us And then they sort of just knocked it all down with that one statement So, I'm glad they're at least building These characters so that, you know, if we do Unlike Jeff Sessions, for example In that Forrest Gump sketch, if we see these Two appear in a regular sketch We can sort of understand what their Characters are now
0: Yeah, yeah um, So, I bet we'll see them again, certainly I think they had fun with it, so uh, I think it was all real good um, And then we go into Um, uh... <laughs> uh,
1: let's get to the
0: news wh- why why are we doing laura parsons again if you're keeping track this is laura parsons 75th time <laughs> showing up this year alone oh oh boy you know, I re- you know
1: what i realized rich i sort of had a come to jesus moment after this i realized that laura parsons i think is this cast debbie downer where it's like, how do we take the most depressing things and put them in an, an environment that people can laugh at? With Debbie Downer, it was just a miserable woman saying them and making the cast break. In this case, it's, it's having a really innocent kid say it. It doesn't really work here. Debbie Downer, I would say, never really worked unless people were laughing. It was, this was fun the first time around, but the other 74 times, it wasn't working too much. I mean, Vanessa Baer is great, and she She's always... Great. She's great. And she she's like a master of update correspondence, but maybe it's time to retire this one, because it's just it's not working now
0: yeah I know that Laura Parsons is far away from retirement age but please let's retire this <laughs> character I don't I mean it's just and it was we always say you know it's Mad Libs comedy it's the exact same pieces over and over again it's just inserting specific jokes into sort of the bits and in this case I, I just felt like you know we had seen these uh, jokes before there was really uh, you know or and there was really nothing that I felt like sort of jumped out like the you know the a lot of the stuff just didn't feel to me like it was particularly interesting so um so yeah i i don't get it i just don't get it
1: (laughs) though i feel like uh, laura parsons was going to be a nice introduction if you will to what we're about to experience over the next four sketches and in this back half of the episode
0: Yes. No. I I think that you're right. So so when we come back from break, you know, the first thing that we're looking at is uh, Sticky Bun. Uh, welcome to Sticky Bun. Will you eat? Uh, here's a training video where they're just uh, they're they're trying to train, and for some reason, instead of saying whatever the right line is supposed to be, they're instead saying, "Will you eat?" I think the what I think the actual line that the uh, the trainees were supposed to be saying was, "Welcome to Sticky Bun." Oh boy, because this was. <laughs> rough this was uh, this is a hard way and again I'm gonna I always say it's easy to critique from the sideline I'm not saying I can necessarily write better but I do want to say I there was never an explanation a comedic premise of why these people were so bad at their job so it was just watching dumb people be dumb for the sake of dumb which made it hard for me to kind of sink my teeth into and go oh okay I love how this is building and I love how crazy everything Everyone's being. I, I just didn't feel like I got that.
1: I almost felt like there was too much weird stuff going on because at first, I think it was Mikey Day who was the first one to do the customer service simulation where he says the "Will you eat?" as you mentioned before, and that was funny. And I was sort of expecting to have him be the crazy man and everyone else be the straight man, but then to have Octavia and Melissa. Also be weird. And then you have the whole questioning of, you know, welcome to Sticky Bun. Are your parents still alive? And then Melissa brings up that my math teacher had your name, but she got found in a ditch. And then you have the cold cow piss stuff. I just felt like the idea of, oh, weird trainees is a fun idea, but you kind of want to stick to one weird line and go with it. Instead, they sort of cast the net wide a bit and, you know, we're able to drag in some very, very odd mixed amount of fish.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this was uh, a a lot of interesting pieces. But uh, I, you know, I guess what are you going to do at the end of the day? This is, uh, you know, we're we're post update. It's been uh, everyone's pretty tired. This this one just uh, didn't work for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, this seemed like this would be performed at an airport like the sticky (laughs) button. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I got to say, unfortunately, no better. We go to the wine bar sketch. This is where Cecily Strong shows up with her new friend, Jode, uh, and it's Octavia Spencer. And uh, we're not quite exactly like I don't I couldn't quite hook into uh, what was going on here. I I didn't know if it was supposed to be that Jode was supposed to be just like a very boring, non sassy black woman or if she was supposed to be borderline homeless. And and she was the creator crazy person. Uh, I. So this felt like just an odd sketch. I, I mean, there was a little bit of a sort of reveal later that, you know, that um, that uh, Cecily Strong's character had been considered maybe doing something racist, and this might have been her way of sort of, uh, you know, turning it around. But uh, I don't know. For me, I, I didn't quite know what I was watching.
1: This was my, oh, boy, of the night. Just because, to me, until we got that, that explanation, it was – Cecily Strong doing a ghetto voice, and that was cringeworthy to me. And I felt so horrible for Cecily that she had to get put in this sketch where she had to talk to this Oscar winner like she was, you know, from a decrepit neighborhood for five minutes. And it just... The humor really was not there, even when you got to Joe's weird thing about, like, you know, give me this drink, and then in five minutes, please put the Do Not Disturb sign on the bathroom. It, It just... I could not get past the fact that it was a little offensive what she was doing and, I, I, do, I don't I do know if I would call that a reveal, what you just mentioned, as much as it was, like, backloading exposition. Like, almost like yeah. the writers were like, oh, yeah, we need to give them a reason to do things. Let's just write in this whole thing <laughs> about Black History Month at the end. And we're going to see this happen in the exact same next sketch, too, that the writers have this, like, back-position idea of. We won't reveal what's going on, really, until the very end of the sketch. So it just seems entirely confusing to people watching it for the first time.
0: Yeah. Now that said, now the chocolate man is a traffic accident. But I will say when you're getting to, to 1245 at night, I would rather see this than see wine bar or sticky bun or even Spencer gifts. I, I thought this was I, I don't quite this was so out there, but I love that they went for it. I thought in general it was a really fun piece, I, I, uh, uh, even though it, I know I'm sort of it sounds like I'm being contradictory. It didn't work, but I'm glad that they took the swing.
1: Yeah, I mean, as you said again in that monologue, Beck Bennett really was admirable here with the weird accent and the chocolate-themed parody songs to the point of where, I mean, people were breaking because of how insane he was, and I completely agree. That's what the 10 to 1 is all about. Does that mean it was a good sketch? Absolutely not. It made no sense, even when you find out that And there's also really murky position here, too, of, like, he brought a gun to the office, but I guess he was also after a girl as well and wanted her to, you know, go topless for him. Those were some really confusing circumstances as well. And, you know, it took us a while for us to find out that it wasn't a weird character as much as it was a man trying to disguise himself. Maybe if we found out that information at the very beginning, it could have possibly saved it. It was one of those things where, you know, it was a sinking ship, but Good job on the captain for at least trying to salvage that ship.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, So, uh, and then the last sketch of the night, uh, you know, for me was another just it was just rough uh, you know we, we get to the headquarters of Spencer Gifts and we see that it is run by Octavia Spencer um, th- this for me I, I, I said to, to Jen I felt like this was a sketch I felt like at the Monday night pitch meeting where every uh, every writer and cast member has to pitch three lines to the host uh, three premises that, that almost never get written that somebody said Octavia Spencer's Gifts and it got a nice laugh and then nobody ever did anything about it and then at you know Wednesday night when they were desperate someone said hey remember when uh, when somebody you know when Alex Moffat thought of that Octavia Spencer gives could we actually put that into a into a sketch Uh, I thought this was this was a tough one and I think that unfortunately with no disrespect to Octavia Spencer she does not have the experience and the pedigree of a live sketch performer to kind of save a sketch that maybe wasn't right
1: yeah, when the concept of a sketch is about the celebrity's name, it can go in a couple different directions. I feel like an example of where it excels is Hamm and Bubbly with John Hamm and Michael Bublé. I love that yep. sketch, but it's because love of the performances. It. On the other hand, then sometimes you get... Peter Sarsgaard's Sarsgaard, uh, which really did not work. And that was definitely a sign of the times. I encourage you to all check that out because that's a that makes us remember a time when Sars was a thing. This definitely seemed like a, wouldn't it be funny if Octavia Spencer ran Spencer's gifts? I didn't make the initial connection at first until she said, you know, when my father bought this company. Uh, we talked about this, I think, in our February episode with the Sean Spicer stuff. Gotta give... Props to the props department here uh, yep. they, had, they had a lot of Work to do with trying to Make the outlandish Spencer's gift Stuff in, and put it viably Into a sketch and they were able to do So successfully in that regard the props were Probably the best part so I had To give a thumbs up to them there
0: Yeah So, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, good nights were fine. And, uh, and I think we can kind of close the book and, uh, and sort of let go of this one, uh, put, put number 15 in the can and move on to number 16. Uh, you know, uh, this week we have, uh, Scarlett Johansson returning, which I was excited to see. Now I will, I want to sort of set the, the table here for a second that, as I may have said in the past, uh, you know, I, you know, Scarlett Johansson is, uh, is my first, she is my first love. She is my woman. She is the uh, she was when she first hosted on January 14th, 2006 with guest host Death Cab for Cutie. uh, I was in the audience with my buddy Mark. It was the very first time I ever saw Saturday Night Live in person sitting in the audience in Studio 8H. You never forget your first. So uh, and she was fantastic then. Uh, I, I, you know, I will say this episode I think was not fantastic. I think it was a step up from the week before. I think there were more hits. There were still a number of misses. But I think what you could see is – Whether it's that Scarlett Johansson is naturally better at this than Octavia Spencer or whether there is just something about having done it four times prior or some combination of the two, you know, Scarlett Johansson was in it. She was integral. She was she made sketches funnier. Maybe she didn't always save a sketch that couldn't be saved, but she was you you could feel her and not that Octavia Spencer didn't give 100 percent, but, you know, she was sort of immersed in the characters and was sort of uh, able to sort of rise above sort of reading off the cue cards and I thought uh, gave us gave us some real fun moments in a generally hit and miss episode
1: yeah I thought this was fine going back to my rankings this actually finished a few steps higher than Octavia Spencer this came in currently at number nine right behind Margot Robbie and right above Casey Affleck it sort of falls to me in that sort of Scar- Casey Affleck, Kristen Wiig, Emily Blunt area of, you know, some noteworthy sketches, but otherwise kind of a bunch of meh. And, I mean, coming into this, it's I'm so surprised that ScarJo is now in the Five Timers Club because, for, I mean, for me at least, it's tough to remember some, like, Scarlett Johansson sketches. You know, when you think about Scarlett Johansson on SNL, what do you think of? The two that come to mind to me are the Fly High Duluth, News song, which is more so a Will Forte sketch than a Scarlett Johansson sketch, and the marble columns with Fred Armisen, who I'm surprised actually didn't make a cameo. But I was should, so, I, mean, I
0: yeah, I was saying that to Mark. I was so hoping that you gotta buy a chandelier. I was so hoping that they would bring that back just for me, just to make me laugh. But they did not. But yeah, you know, you're right. She doesn't have, you know, she certainly when you look at Five Timers, you know, she doesn't have the run of, you know, Tom Hanks creating memorable characters like Mr. Short Term Memory. But, you know, I think you can definitely say, you know, there was almost no sketch where she felt like the the host was the weak link.
1: No, definitely not. And there are a couple of sketches that I really like and would probably be my favorites out of this month that I'm sure we'll talk about. So that's why it's, you know, still the bottom half of my SNL host, but much higher than the predecessor of this previous episode we just talked about.
0: So, you know, we open up with, uh, again, we're, uh, you know, what I like is instead of just doing a press conference or doing a a scene in the White House with uh, the Angel of Death, Steve Bannon, we're sort of taking our, you know, commander in chief and placing him in a different environment. Uh, This is imagining that the aliens were attacking in 2018. And uh, part of our our military response is relying on the commander in chief, Donald Trump. And uh, great to see Alec Baldwin back. And uh, the audience goes crazy. Crazy When uh, when he joins the scene um, and I thought this was a big cold open, this was a high sort of production value cold open um, and in you know, Alec Baldwin, as always is great. He brings great energy to the character. Um, a couple of funny lines, but I did feel this was more fun than funny for me.
1: Yeah, it felt a little long. Again, I think it's because, you know, they want to milk a- enough out of Trump Trump as possible. I mean, now, unfortunately, I'm sort of watching these Baldwin as Trump things with the knowledge now Baldwin has said in the past couple of weeks on TV shows that, you know, he still wants to do Trump uh, at the White House Correspondents Dinner, but he's kind of saying, uh, you know what, maybe I, I don't really want to do this anymore. And so, now I think you could see the show saying, okay, we get Alec for this week, great, let's get his, out as much Trump references as we can in this one sketch. And I think this is an example of what they're going to do now that Alec is, Alec is kind of on borrowed time with this Trump character of like, oh, we don't want to just waste the Trump appearance of him in the Oval Office, let's try to really go for it and do something. I do admire on, as you said, them going outside of the White House and trying something completely new and it's fun to sort of put Trumpian things or at least the character Trumpian things in this setting like you know when they say California was destroyed and he says oh you're saying I won the popular vote that was a fun moment and when they say the Trump hotel in New York was destroyed and he's like oh yeah there were some really great people staying there oh no I'm sure there were just they're really the best people in the world I thought you know those were great character beats but unfortunately I can't not watch these now without thinking about, like, how many more do you think Alec Baldwin is going to have in the can here? I'm, I'm assuming he's going to finish out the season as Trump, but I wonder how many more times over the next four episodes are they actually going to use him in person?
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that you're going to see, I think he's going to show up, you know, here and there. I suspect that he'll be there for the Louis C.K. episode. And then, you know, depending on, you know, going from there, yeah, how how many are we really going to see him going forward? I think maybe two or three times, I'm sure, the season finale. And then I think I could see him saying to Lauren, look, you know, I'm not saying I'm not going to come back next year, but I'm saying, you know, you probably should start looking for someone and see who you can find. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but we we have someone to yeah. induct. Rich Scarjo's in the five timers yes. club.
0: So she's here for the Five Timers Club. Uh, you know, I thought again. Th- I thought this was indicative of the uh, of a lot of the show in that. Uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the monologue worked. I thought the Keenan highlight reel for me didn't necessarily work. Um, but her and Kate McKinnon were very funny together, even if the jokes were not necessarily the most hilarious. Although I like that uh, that ScarJo got to go to the Vanity Fair Oscar party. Kate McKinnon got to go to the Prina dog chow meet and greet so some funny some funny stuff there i thought uh, similar to last week's it was sort of just a fun sort of thrown together piece uh that ends with them doing the five timers club song which was basically the uh you know the uh the five dollar foot long uh you know theme from subway which i actually thought was cute i thought that they did that i thought that was very very cute
1: this was a little scattered to me this felt like three monologue ideas kind of cobbled together. You know, they had the three ideas of Keenan editing the reel, you have Kate and the Oscar thing. And by the way, I'm glad that they did mention the connection that Kate and Scarjo are in a movie together called Rough Night, which just aired a trailer I think this past week. Looks pretty funny. Uh I will definitely see it and see how it goes. And then you have Keenan then walking out in a robe as like a diva type of character since he's been here the longest, and then they do the induction ceremony as well. I kind of wish they had just stuck with one thing, like when, with Melissa McCarthy when they had the big production number last season about how, what they say, like four and one 18th uh, shows that she's done. I, I think if you, if you want, just stick with one idea and then blow it out to a 10 rather than taking three ideas out of three and smushing them together.
0: I agree I agree so uh, But you know what it was it, We got out on a relatively You know quick moment which I thought was not A bad idea uh, Go to our first live sketch uh, It's it's the local news sketch I, I always enjoy sort of the mocking Of local news at, at the Unfunny asides and and how funny They are like the fun tie always makes Me giggle it's not that funny But for some reason it makes me laugh And then uh, we've got our guy Danny Bangs who is an animal for uh, who is accidentally introduced as an animal, uh, pornographer. And then we sort of see that joke sort of unravel, uh, over, over the course of the episode, again, a very one note joke. And yet, uh, a one note joke sketch. And yet I thought, you know what, how often do you see lower thirds comedy? Uh, yeah. I thought that, I thought that this was fun enough that they, they evolved it enough, uh, to, from, and I did like the little bit of arc where it were starting out, uh, Uh, That it's clearly they're saying it's, oh, it's our fault. We've made a mistake. Uh, And by the end, they're investigating the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, pornography scandal. So I thought that they did a nice job with that.
1: I had no idea where the sketch was going at the start because I thought, okay there's a guy named Danny Bangs and he's an animal pornographer. Where exactly are we going at 1145 at night here? It's still late, but it's not 10 to 1 late where you can do that weird type of stuff. But then I think it came back around, as you said, with him, you know, www.dannybangsanimals.com. Yes, I do agree that, that it was very one note, but there were de- different shades of that note because, I mean, you can do a lot with innuendos and double entendres see Tobias Funke in Arrested Development as an example and like you said the 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 visual jokes that occur. I feel like SNL is not often a show about visual jokes so to have that yes. pop up and to have you know the live tweets of confusion to come from people who are watching this on mute on their treadmill at the gym is fun. I do want to tangentially speak about one thing uh, so I noticed that Bobby Moynihan had a little bit of a beard on him and this sort of ties into the news that we heard a couple weeks ago where Bobby might be the lead in the pilot of a sitcom that might be sold to i believe cbs what do you think the chances are rich of your boy bobby making it out after season 42 of snl
0: You know, I mean, great problem to have, you know, he is, you know, he is the lead in a pilot that they're shooting for CBS. It is with Broadway video, if I remember correctly. So he's still within the family, Um, you know, and if it gets picked up, then he's clearly going to leave. He obviously can't do both. Uh, We saw this most recently uh, when John Mulaney as a writer and then Nassim Padrad as a cast member left to go do Mulaney on Fox produced by Broadway video. So they didn't leave the family, but very clearly they were leaving. Uh, leaving the show. So, you know, I think it's win-win. I think if the pilot goes, which obviously I would love to see Bobby Moynihan be a sitcom star, I think he'll leave on on very good terms. And if, you know, if the pilot itself doesn't get picked up, then we'll just see him return. Uh, You know, I don't think that Bobby's going to leave anytime soon unless he was asked to leave. Uh, If I were them, I definitely would not ask him to leave. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that's not the case. But again, you know, if he does go, it's it's for good reason. Reason and I'll still be watching Bobby whether it's on NBC or CBS.
1: Yeah, and I mean he's a very very talented person. I mean I feel like for a while there, especially after the vacation of Kristen Wiig, Sudeikis, you know Andy Samberg, Bill Hader, he was him and Tara and him I feel like we're really starting to hold down the ensemble on the male side for a while until you have Beck Bennett and now Mikey Days stepping in though. You know, sometimes we talk about random shows where he's not there. He's, he'll show up a bit in this episode, but I feel like it's a little intermittent. Maybe it's because of him sort of having, you know, straddling two different lanes at once and that he might be working on the sitcom stuff while he's working on this stuff. I'm not entirely sure, but hopefully if he is going, he'll be able to do some really fun stuff on the way out. For your sake, I hope we get to see one more Riblet appearance in this season, if this is his, indeed his last one.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm imagining he probably hasn't been doing much uh, for that pilot just yet. So hopefully he can sort of focus uh, for a little bit. So we'll see. Um, So, yeah, so this I, I think we sort of said it. I think this was fun. I hope that we don't see this sketch again. We've talked about before how these sketches can become mad libs. This would literally become mad libs where we're just putting new words in the lower thirds, which is the last thing that we need right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, you know, I don't want to poke too much holes in the verisimilitude of these scenes. I did find it odd when the zoo fired him because you would think the zoo of all people would know what he was doing and what the confusion was. So they wouldn't immediately suspect that he was fornicating with the animals. But again, I I shouldn't poke too many holes in a three minute sketch. And I did not mean that in a lower third type of way that will take my words and use them against me. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Uh, you know, next we go to a pre-taped Fire Island. Uh, You know, this is a take on the logo, you know, their new sort of Jersey Shore, very extreme show of uh, young gay men in Fire Island. Here we're going to see it with a bunch of lesbians you know, I would say for the sake of time, because, you know, we've been talking for almost an hour now, this was fine. It was absolutely pleasant. Everyone made me giggle. I don't think I laughed out loud, but I thought it was a nice little piece to have in the show. Uh, Nothing else really to say on it.
1: Yeah, I think there was, I don't want to use the term lesbian humor, but I think there were some very specific character moments in there that were fun, especially when they compare them to the raucous wild times that will exist on the Fire Island show with the gay men. But I thought it was nice and a nice showcase for the female ensemble who were little who will literally be silenced in another sketch so it's good to showcase them here
0: yeah yeah uh, and then we go back to a live sketch uh, a real uh, sort of interesting one so we get to this translating uh, machine that can actually translate the thoughts of a dog into human speech so certainly I have no idea where this sketch is going uh, Scarlett Johansson's character brings her own dog to use we put this helmet on this uh, this wonderful uh, I bulldog I guess maybe pug I'm trying to think of what kind of dog that was uh, but uh, Max the dog reveals that he is a big Donald Trump fan Uh, and not only is he a big Donald Trump fan but he's actually the voice of reason in the sketch and I thought for me the fact that they made it uh, the dog likes Trump was inspired but only inspired the fact that they made it a very reasonable Donald Trump fan was just brilliant and I just thought uh, I don't know that this sketch overall you know gets like you know Hall of Fame status or anything but just a really fun sketch with a really fun premise that the the scientist can't understand why he would li- why he would be a Donald Trump supporter, and the dog has has very legitimate reasons.
1: Yeah, I mean it was a, the scientists were a little bit in crazy town for me. It's the point of where you know Cecily pulls out a gun at the end and threatens to shoot a dog. You also have to go back to the old adage that you never work with kids or animals. And we see here where you know the Max the dog ends up taking off his helmet at one point, and Scarjo has to put it back on. I mean. I do kind of feel like no matter what the dog was saying, the audience would be on the dog side because it's such it was such a darn cute dog. I know you and I are both dog lovers. Yes. I, thought, I thought everyone was game for this sketch, and I do have to agree with you. At least I do have to give SNL some admiration here for at least trying to make I don't know if this I guess this is a form of political commentary without necessarily you know making Alec Baldwin come in as Donald Trump or having someone else impersonate another member of the cabinet it's more so commenting much like that Dave Chappelle election night sketch it was more so about c- commenting about what the populace is feeling rather than this is what's going on in the government
0: yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and also huge shout out to, to Scarlett Johansson, who, as you said, is working with a dog who in this case was not sort of uh, playing nicely. And she sort of just grabbed the, the, you know, as things were going a little awry, she just sort of grabbed the helmet, started putting it back on, continued doing her lines. I thought just real, a, a real great sign of, of someone who's come into her own as a live comedy performer and just sort of owned it and didn't freeze. And, and her, her lines were not sort of, sort of a stiltered and jitter jittery because she was also dealing with the logistics issue. Uh, it was just really fun. I thought she did a nice job. Mm hmm. Um, and the look on the dog for me was a little bit uh, the same look that I had had watching some of those last sketches of the Octavia Spencer episode so (laughs) I I, we could
1: find a lot of similarities (laughs)
0: yeah yeah Uh, and so from there we go uh, even weirder in our live sketches to a commercial for Olive Garden some background actors shooting some stuff uh, uh, with the director Beck Bennett directing some of our live background actors uh, getting sort of uh, oddly weirder and weirder Um, you know for me this was such a a lovely and wonderful performance piece Uh, the logic behind it made almost no sense Uh, (laughs) the way that it built did not follow any logic to anything the fact that the director was also doing weirdly black minstrel voices at the (laughs) end of each piece didn't track at all Uh, and and yet and, and nor did it build and heighten to the end of the scene and yet I think the four performers you know mikey day scarlett johansson uh um uh um, uh, leslie uh, keenan thompson and thank you and leslie jones did such a nice job of just of just committing and just letting themselves look really stupid which is hard i think it's hard to just let yourself look just objectively dumb on camera and they did such a nice job of it here
1: I loved how stupid this was. It was so simple, but like you said, the real gold lies in the performances. I mean, the sketch on paper is essentially one big game of Simon Says, right? It's Beck Bennett as a director saying, Simon Says, stick your head in the bowl of pasta. Simon Says, make the weirdest orgasm face that you can do. And, you know, one would argue that it would go on too long based on that merit, but... It ended up escalating in some weird way. I loved, like you said, his harebrained ex- uh, his explanations of like, okay, so for this neighborhood, you know, Mikey Day kissed Scarlett Johansson. For this neighborhood, Keenan kissed Leslie. For that one neighborhood in Atlanta, Leslie you right. kissed Scarlett Johansson. And just the weird oddities and <laughs> just the image of Keenan with his face in the bowl of pasta for a good like four minutes so great. was so, so great. funny. And this just shows, again, that like some of the best SNL sketches – You know, you could have Christopher Walken come in and just talk about how much he needs more Cowbell, and it's an instant classic. I'm going to call this an instant classic, but the strength here lies in how it really isn't saying anything. It's just Beck Bennett yelling out stupid commands and everyone trying to do them to the best of their ability.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I I will say, as we talked about before the show uh, off mic, that, uh, you know, the one thing I will say is, as I was discussing before, that as much as I like this sketch, how much more would we have liked this sketch if instead of Beck Bennett, it was Jason Sudeikis in that role? Like, you know, we don't have in the cast that alpha male you know that you know that great kind of alpha male who can play that part to 11. I and I wouldn't knock Beck Bennett at all, but it wasn't at 11. I almost would rather have seen Bobby Moynihan take a run at that character um or even Pete Davidson maybe. But but really calling out that we don't have that alpha male to kind of make that just to give it that extra twinge of jerk that uh that and and sort of scary jerk that might have made it even more fun, but overall, I think uh, you know, w- you know, really fun sketch.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm still laughing just thinking over when they when she he makes Mikey and Scarlet look at the waitress like she's seven feet tall, and then look at her like she's two feet tall, and then try not to laugh as she walks away. And ScarJo says like, "Well, oh, I wouldn't laugh at a little person," and Beck says, "Yeah, but uh, Olive Garden customers would." That's just yeah. that might yeah. be the biggest laugh of the sketch because I do agree that you can nitpick here and there about like it would be fun to sort of. Have that real m- male to anchor these sketches that could really be in every man that we really aren't. I guess Beck Bennett can might be the best example. Maybe Mikey Day's working his way up there, but outside of that, this to me was the highlight of this show, and definitely, I mean, for, for me, probably the highlight of the month. uh, just, oh, uh yeah, just because okay. it was so absurdly stupid, but I could not stop laughing at it.
0: Yeah. And by the way, if anyone like myself at the beginning of the sketch thought, oh, I wonder if this is an Olive Garden paid product placement, uh as we know that they're doing this season, uh, the minute they start explaining what dummies Olive Garden patrons are, you're like, oh, no, nope, this is not paid placement. This is yes. this is absolutely not what Olive Garden wanted. That's for sure.
1: It is weird. I think we, I don't know if we talked about this on show, but when we got the news that after the Super Bowl stuff, we're like, okay, so this Totino is an example of this. We're like, nope, they're still need to, they're still starting to roll out the sponsored content. And I guess they're trying to get in as many jabs at these sponsors as they can before they need to start talking about them in a positive light.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it was one of those uh, they were talking to Olive Garden and it didn't go well, and this is what we ended up with. <laughs> yeah, that he took but, out
1: their aggression on yeah, the sketch. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, then we come to sort of ironically, or uh, surprisingly for me, our last pre-tape of the entire night before weekend update, which is a commercial for Ivanka Trump's new fragrance, Complicit. Uh, this uh, this was probably my favorite piece of the night. I thought this was really funny. Uh, Scarlett Johansson as the uh, you know sexy and sophisticated uh, Ivanka Trump. who's uh, you know supposedly this uh, pro positive women's issues uh, woman and yet was complicit in her uh, in her father's election despite everything that you said Um, I think you could you could say that this was uh, another sort of one one joke sketch Uh, and yet I thought that the turns in this were were wonderful I actually think that it built nicely and there were a lot of different sort of pieces that they played Um, I thought this was just a a really cutting and incisive joke and in fact what I liked about it is it didn't go too far it's sort of the, the joke sort of stood on its own that we didn't have to take any really cheap shots at her uh, or her family or anything it, was, it sort of spoke for itself
1: and like you said I loved how it built you know you have your usual voiceovers for exotic perfumes and everyone's standing around at a party. And then once they reveal it's Ivanka Trump, you can see, you know, everyone kind of start to give incredulous faces. You see Bobby as the waiter with the champagne glasses, sort of giving a WTF face. And I love that one visual of her putting on lipstick in the mirror, and we see on the other side of the mirror, it's Donald Trump doing the exact same thing. It's just subtle little things like that. You you don't need to beat people over the head with this type of political commentary. And I thought I agree with you. This is another great way for them to do some sort of form of commentary without going back to the White House. And, of course, I'm always game for a good Billy Zane and Titanic reference, so I enjoyed this one as well.
0: And the second sort of uh, fun trivia fact, courtesy of our friend Mark in New York City, that on SNL, this is actually the second time that Scarlett Johansson played Ivanka Trump. In 2007, going back 10 years, the second time that she hosted, uh, there was a Live with Regis and Kelly sketch. Daryl Hammond and Emmy Poehler were playing Regis and Kelly, and their guest was uh, Scarlett Johansson playing Ivanka Trump in that sketch as well. So interesting to see how far we've come in 10 years. Yeah.
1: Lord, Lord, how far we've come.
0: Yeah, I also did notice. I think, uh, although someone will have to correct us on Twitter, it looked like when uh, the character Ivana is, is Ivanka is first walking in. I think in the background was co-head writer Sarah Schneider, it, or, oh. or else it was, it, or else it was someone who looked a lot like her. But I think it was her. So uh, I thought if that was, that was very cool. So uh, from there we go to Lord, uh, our musical guest. Um, I thought she was very good. I don't really have anything to say. I have always been a fan of hers. I, I won't say I'm a fan of every song. I. I like a lot of songs of hers not all of them I thought uh, she did a a very nice job similar to uh, uh, Father John Misty I thought the first song was good I thought the second song was very good Um, so I just in general felt like we've been on a very nice run of musical guests Uh, not that I can speak to Big Sean but Sturgill Simpson was fantastic Alicia Carr I thought was fantastic I love Ed Sheeran Father John Misty was great Lord was also great so uh, so just for me I'm just sort of giving huge uh, Kudos to the musical guests uh, since uh, you know since coming back from the break.
1: Yeah, she is Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Lord. I like her music. Uh, she performed Greenlight and Liability. What I like about these Lord performances were how simple they were. And I guess I'm sort of speaking it from a theatrical aesthetics perspective. At least in the first song, where it starts off with like this one spotlight and just the piano, and then it grows into this red background lighting with the percussion and the backup singers. I thought that was a nice escalation. And then again, the simplicity of Liability, where it's jack antonoff on the piano and her just sitting back to back with him with a lone light on her that looks like one of those lights you get uh for per- for lighting purposes when you're getting like a portrait taken for instance her dressed like an extra from the flying nun i uh, don't really know about the fashion choice but like you said rich i enjoy both of her performances these musical performances have really knocked it out of the park even when the shows have not with snl so that's a great thing going for it i'm intrigued to see what we're going to get from the chain smokers next month
0: yeah that'll be interesting so look forward to it uh and so then we come to weekend update and uh i thought uh in general i thought this was a really up weekend update again i didn't really write down any of the jokes which really tells you uh something about it although uh i did sort of like that they sort of talk about the health care bill and you know how bad does it have to be if trump won't put his name on it you know that he's you know put his name on a ponzi scheme once uh and a couple of other things uh i think my other favorite joke which uh I know many people have have mentioned is when they talked about the new travel ban, which Joe says is just a bunch of brown color swatch swatches. I thought that was such a great joke. Um, But but overall, I just thought, you know, hitting well, a lot of fun stuff with the two of them. Uh, I don't know if anything else stood out to you, uh, but overall, I thought that as as jokes go, Colin and, and, and Michael did a nice job.
1: I do feel like I started noticing that Colin Jost has a fun phrase, which is, nothing says blank like blank. He got it twice this episode with, nothing says trust me about the future like a PowerPoint. And then he says, nothing says my presidency is going well like the scream of children. So I now now I've unfortunately hopefully not, uh, you know, impugned Colin Jost's image in all the listeners' head that hopefully they won't be, you know— pointing it out every time he says it. It was just something that I realized. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they're doing very solidly, especially after that train wreck episode that they did back in January. So I'm excited to see how they progress, especially since you know, it seems like they sort of have a Trump thing of the week to discuss, which is a nice, really solid rock for them to orient their comedy around.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we, got, uh, we get two sort of bits. The first is Uh, speaking of uh, Saturday Night Live cast members doing impressions of former Saturday Night Live cast members we have the combination of Senator Al Franken and uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions Um, you know I'm an old guy I remember Al Franken doing Weekend Update uh, and so it was very fun to see Alex Moffat doing an Al Franken impression and by the way a very solid very credible Al Franken impression Uh, and as you alluded to earlier, you know, the Jeff sessions here I think becomes a little bit more alive because now uh, he, uh you know she's playing off someone else. It was weird that I happened to because uh Mark had mentioned it, I went back and watched the 2007 Regis and Kathy and, and Kelly episode with Ivanka Trump on it and to see Amy Poehler's Kelly Ripa dealing with Regis was so similar to Kate McKinnon's Jeff Sessions dealing with Al Franken it was very weird to see the two back to back Um, probably more fun than funny here uh, but a lot a lot of really cute stuff and I thought it was really fun and I wouldn't be surprised if we see them again.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they found the perfect straight man, crazy man pair here. I do feel like Al Franken, even though he did some fun stuff, Stuart Smalley is a great example of probably his best SNL character back in the day. I think he's more so known for being very deadpan nowadays. So I thought Alex did a very credible impression there. And like I said before, I think they were actually able to make a meal out of Jeff Sessions here. It might have been because of the interaction between them. But he had some great lines between saying, you know, Al showed me Jew stuff. Uh, He puts the fake baby hand on the Bible. That's his oath in hand. And then he makes the joke about the Alababy. You know, it's an Alabama maybe, or it's also a baby dressed as Aladdin. Though he wouldn't be Aladdin in this country. And then goes for the high five. You know, I, I do hope that when they bring this character back, if it's not... Al Franken, they at least give him someone to bounce off of. It's just like you said with the Forrest Gump stuff. If he's just monologuing, A, he's not working off of anyone. B, part of the impression is that you can't really understand what he's saying every fourth word or so, and so to hear him talk for long portions of time can make it very difficult to discern his language
0: yes yes I agree so so generally I, th- I think we, we both really like this and then uh, and then we finish out the piece with Pete Davidson sort of bringing back the idea of his first impressions bit which is this is uh, him instead of doing sort of taking a pop uh, a, a current event and equating it to a, 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 bio- a, a biography uh, piece of stand up material this is him going to sort of just make fun of uh, you know people's in their pictures uh, and I thought this was just really fun uh i you know i thought a lot of again it's cheap comedy it's cheap jokes i'll take it any day of the week uh i made me <laughs> laugh um nothing made me laugh more than when he talked about paul ryan uh you know was looked like that someone waved a wand over a ventriloquist dummy i thought that was so funny i thought that was great
1: Now, the question I have for you, Rich, is he did this first impressions, I believe, you know, back in, I think, December when they started talking about assembling Trump's cabinet. And I don't remember if you had high remarks for him there. Did you like it this second time out or did you just like both appearances so much that it's sort of par for the course? yeah I
0: thought it was I mean it was sort of similar in that you know it's a you know it, it almost reminds me of going way back to Weekend Update featured you know featured player David Spade doing his uh, Hollywood Minute yes. where it was really just bring a card up and take a cheap shot at a celebrity and move on this was really just sort of taking shots you know at you know just taking one cheap shot at a time I liked and I liked it last time I thought there were a couple of really funny jokes I liked it this time I think that he's willing to go there and willing to sort of take the cheap shot and i like that they mix it up that you know you know assuming that and i think we'll continue to see pete davidson doing more autobiographical kind of stand-up bits at the weekend update desk as well as things like first impressions i think it's a it's a nice mix
1: and it's also you know Big news! This is the first time we're seeing Pete Davidson in a little while on SNL, and we've definitely commented on it. And an article came out this week that you know one of the reasons why Pete Davidson has been so sporadic in his appearances is because he's really pursued trying to become sober and not really depend on marijuana or other drugs. So this is really the appearance of the first genuinely sober Pete Davidson that we've seen. I don't really see. That much difference. He's maybe a little bit less giggly, but I still think he's solid enough that, you know, his comedic reputation will not tank because he's not consuming drugs anymore
0: yeah and I always think that in general it makes the performer stronger, especially on live television. I think you know without getting into his backstory too much, I certainly think that you know it'll certainly help him be able to do sketches you know I think that you know comedians can you know get very good at sort of being on substances while doing stand-up comedy but being in sketches and having to interact and, and not just being a solo performer you know sort of opens him up a little bit so should be should be really good so I'm, I'm happy for him I think that's going to be good for him and clearly good for the show
1: speaking of should should we move into our our next character here
0: So filed under, why did we need to see this again? Uh, Shud the mermaid uh, makes her second, uh, uh, second appearance. Almost a year ago today, we saw this on the Ariana Grande episode. Uh, you know, uh, this time though, the, instead of the host being one of the quote unquote, beautiful mermaids, uh, we're seeing the host show up as a fellow kind of not so beautiful mermaid, um, very dumb, very disposable. Still, kind of made me laugh. I mean, I, I certainly didn't feel like this was a you know a, a boy or anything like that. I, I thought it was sort of fine enough. Uh, you know, I think I was more fun watching them have fun doing it than I would say it was necessarily fun uh, to watch. Um, but you know, good for them. I, you know, mm-hmm. certainly for me, the highlight of this was uh, you know them turning the mermaid song into the theme from The Simpsons for absolutely no reason still very fun.
1: Yeah, which again, again, me poking holes would be a little anachronistic, considering that The Simpsons came out like forty-five years after the time that this was set. But you know, it's it's a three-minute sketch. We really can't make a, too much out of the verisimilitude of it. Yeah, I feel like the first time you guys talked about the Shud sketch, I think you really gave a lot of props to the prosthetics department of what they were able yeah. to do with Kate McKinnon. And I had to give thumbs up here again. I guess a double thumbs up because they're able to do that job once more a year later, but also do this weird hybrid anglerfish thing on Scarlett Johansson where they actually gave her you know they built a mouth on top of her mouth which looked pretty gross but i think that was the point i think i like shud the the first time around maybe just because it was more surprising like you said it was clear that they were having fun so i guess we have to enjoy that aspect of it uh and this also falls into like a typical snl trope of like Shud is not a well-beloved character, but I know sometimes they'll take, like, the recurring character and have the guest be their cousin. Or, you know, we we saw that a lot with Drunk Uncle the past couple of years, with just letting someone else tag in on the family. We I was going to say of-
0: the exact same thing. If the, yeah. the the the, the second—it felt like Drunker Uncle. Like, well, we don't really need to, but I like that you guys are having fun doing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice, because then you'll only be able to say, you know, you sort of had your kick and eat it, too. The— the host doesn't need to be the straight man in this scene and they also you also sort of still get the essence of that recurring character that people love so much again not sort of shud is an audience favorite but at least they were able to sort of say we'll have scarjo play side by side with kate as we said before they have a chemistry so they work together a bunch throughout this episode
0: yeah yeah Uh, so okay so we go from Shud to another return character uh, Shanice Goodwin Ninja who we had seen in the uh, the now sort of legendary Russell Crowe episode of April last year Uh, this sketch is probably more notable from I think Leslie Jones broke her collarbone or some other I I I don't remember what it was I think think
1: she tore her ACL or something
0: thank you thank you yes yes so uh, so uh, you know now that she's fully recovered we bring this back with Coney ninja uh, uh scarlett johansson uh again a very dumb sketch i thought it was fun i enjoyed it uh you know it was just it was just like a, a fun silly piece of nothing uh that was just you know a lot of gags of just you know the bad the bad ninjas showing up and and nobody knowing um so sure uh, you know why not
1: Yeah, it was chintzy, but it was kind of supposed to be. I think you know, ScarJo is also promoting a movie, Ghost in the Shell, where I think is sort of like an action sci-fi hybrid, so she was really in the zone. She even got to try out her Russian accent, which I think she might have used a couple of times sparsely in her role as Black Widow uh, with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, yeah, I thought this was fine. There was nothing that really made me laugh out loud, but... You know, again, good on sort of this aspect of let's put this 40 something year old woman into a ninja costume. And as long as she doesn't injure herself completely this time, she can have fun cartwheeling around the stage. Yeah. So,
0: so uh, I would hope to not – I don't know that we need to see this again, but it was fun that we saw it. So, uh, and then we move to sort of an interesting live sketch, uh, a very sort of meta sketch, a sketch for the women. This is where we find out that uh, you know on A Day Without a Woman, the women did not get to do any writing because they sort of observed the day. So uh, our good friends Beck Bennett and Kyle Mooney decided to step in and be nice guys and write a live sketch to really showcase the women's and women's issues – which they are in. And then it turns out to be a sketch where actually it's just uh, Beck and Kyle doing all the talking in the sketch about women's issues and not giving the women a chance to speak. Uh, similar to uh, you know, the girl at the bar pre-tape that we saw last week, um, which I imagine that those guys wrote or were part of the writing team on. Uh, I felt like I kind of got this sketch early on and uh, it didn't really evolve. It didn't really grow for me. Uh, I think, I think because it was a pre because it was a live sketch i actually sort of give it more uh props that it was mm-hmm. just fun uh it was just a very fun sketch and i thought that uh the commitment level was really fun uh my one gripe is definitely that i just wish that the women had more uh could have had more to uh you know uh, more lines in order to see their uh, righteous indignation uh to, i think it would have been a little bit more fun but overall having the whole table of women that literally don't say a <laughs> single word was a very funny sort of call out yeah so again, uh, yeah i have
1: to again i have to give major props to snl for trying or good neighbor in this case for doing something that's atypical to have this sort of introduction and i wasn't sure at first if we were going another to Sir with love route of them actually being s- pretty serious about something but i love that introduction into the sketch where it's essentially just Beck Bennett and Kyle Mooney mansplaining the entire time. Uh, I do agree. I I felt like even if they weren't getting enough lines, I feel like Aidy and Scarlett were not acting incredulous enough. Actually, a rare moment where Scarlett Johansson really didn't bring that much to the table. Uh, And I I don't know if they were trying not to mug too much, but I would personally like to see them get a little more offended. Uh, Sort of like when I said with the girl in the bar sketch, uh, but this time with Kyle. I loved Kyle's like, outrageous reactions to these facts. Just him, like, flailing his hands everywhere. He's, you know, as much as people may have chagrined him of, you know, all he does is just sort of mumble and act awkward, there are some moments where he can really do funny things outside of that. And this is one of these moments. And like you said, love the visual of them walking over to the big table with all of the female cast members just looking stone-faced, and then the camera just panning right back over, back to them. When we had Lord come out, I knew what they were going to do. They did it. I didn't have a problem with it. This might have been my second favorite sketch of the night next to the Olive Garden sketch. I just thought it was well constructed. And like you said, Good Neighbor almost never does live sketches. And I'm happy that they're starting to bring that weirdness out from behind the camera and actually putting it on stage.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they they did a a fun sort of a a fun piece. Definitely, Lord gets to cameo again, albeit a very predictable joke. Nice to see Lord sort of show up in a cameo, which was fun. Um, and then speaking of odd and crazy, uh, our last sketch of the night, the funeral service, you know, this is what I want to see in, uh, in a 10 to one sketch. This is just silly for the sake of silly high energy. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, David, the, uh, dentist has passed away. And at his, uh, at his funeral, we get to meet his friends, Dan and Dee Dee, who perform, uh, little pieces of his, uh, club track, uh, uh, songs that he had been writing. Um, it's, it's very odd. I don't quite know why we sort of needed uh, you know we had Bobby and then we brought up uh, um, Leslie Jones yeah. who then introduced the two I, I don't know why we didn't just simplify that and just either start with Leslie Jones or well, take well, her we, character we, we started
1: out. With, we even started with Vanessa, the widow who right. passed it off to Bobby who passed it off to Leslie right, so It's like right. a baton- there's like the SNL relay race of the last sketch of the night.
0: Yes. So that seemed very odd to me. Uh, But but that is a nitpicky thing in general. Again, the only thing that's funny about this whole sketch is to hear Kanan and Scarlett do the songs and perform the songs, uh, you know, that make no sense and very silly. And it's a lot of drugs and butts and, and just just general funness. And I thought that they sold it and I thought it was I just thought it was really good.
1: Yeah, I always have to commend SNL, especially nowadays when they do music stuff, because not only are the vast majority of them musically talented, but the songs that they come up with Are just even if they're not good, so damn addicting. I can I always talk about how I always get wishing boots stuck in my head, even though it's not even a funny (laughs) song. Like that that hook just gets stuck in your head. Or space pants is another example. And here we have you know, like you said, all of these weird in house club songs that have really sort of raunchy lyrics. Uh, they weren't exactly laugh out loud funny, but they were fun enough that you know I'm I'm enjoying myself. It's clear that they were enjoying themselves. I think it was a nice way to cap off the night. This and the day without women sketch. I thought were a nice one-two punch to finish off this month
0: yeah exactly exactly so uh, you know fun good nights uh, a lot of the women were all wearing black shirts uh, but uh, a lot of the guys were not so it was a little bit of a weird like they were trying to sort of say something but not everybody was in on sort of the uh, the, the whole scope of it uh, but that said uh, it seemed like uh, really everyone enjoyed uh, having her it Seemed like there was a lot of a lot of connection with her in the cast five timers club certainly doesn't surprise me uh, but overall uh, I think a not one that we 're going to put in the uh, in the uh Hall of famers but still a lot of funny stuff, and it's you know so often you know we 've seen so many good episodes that have fallen off the cliff after weekend update. I actually felt like this was the kind of night where even after weekend update, while i won 't remember all of them, there was a lot of funny to be had throughout
1: yeah a lot of a lot of you know rise and fall throughout without it n- nothing being too horrible, so I thought pretty solid episode, like you said. It's you know right at the topping off the bottom half of my rankings, so it's sort of in the middle. And speaking of Five Timers Club, we are next going to be seeing someone who's starting to make his way up there. Uh, with his fourth appearance in five years, Louis C.K. is going to be back on SNL.
0: Yeah, which is you know surprising, not in a good or bad way, but surprising in that you know we, we just saw him last season, so uh, which is not something that you often see. So uh, that obviously a lot of a uh, lot of faith in in Louis C.K. bringing it. So we have a fairly atypical break. Uh, we're going to be off for is it three weeks or even four weeks? Yeah. Um, it's going to be. Let's see here. I'm going to count this. Wait. So we've oh, got yeah, off one, it- two, three. Yeah. We're back in four weeks which is what they did last year but last year we had an early Easter mixed in so we sort of they were off for four weeks during the Easter break and then came back for a long run I think what we're seeing here is because we front loaded the season so much because of the election uh, now we are going to see sort of this big break and then we'll come back and probably sort of uh, you know we'll do this episode I suspect that we will skip the following weekend because it's Easter weekend and then we'll probably come back and do the final four shows in a row to finish out the Year. So, probably uh, five left to go and uh, started with Louis C.K., not too shabby.
1: Yeah. And it's also interesting as well because I also believe that March Madness is occurring next weekend as well. So, I'm assuming that SNL, ah. I don't know if there's a, it's a competition for ratings or if they just, you know, would rather not have to do stuff during that time period. So, yeah, it'll be a little bit of time. Uh, I think still TBD on how we're going to handle those last few shows. You know, if there's only one in April and then. The you know the other three in May maybe we'll schedule things a little bit differently but you know make sure you are dialed into this podcast as a quick reminder this podcast is not on the main post show recaps feed make sure you're subscribed to this SNL only feed by going to postshowrecaps.com dot com slash SNL iTunes and while we're doing this revival if you want to give us a rating or review that of course is always greatly appreciated.
0: Please do would love it, and love to hear what you want to say and you know let's keep the conversation going on Twitter. Uh, you know, want to hear what you guys think, obviously it's comedy, so it's completely subjective, so always want to hear uh, what you guys disagree with as well as agree with
1: yeah, you can follow me at a Mike Bloom type Rich is at Rich Tech, and like you said, we're always receptive to arguing or agreeing or disagreeing with you with any points you may have about these couple of episodes. but like you said, with previewing Louis c k. I mean, I feel like we are so fortunate to have three of the strongest stand-ups out there these days in Dave Chappelle, Aziz Ansari, and Louis C.K. hosting SNL in the same season. Uh, both Dave Chappelle and Aziz Ansari had very interesting politically and humanity-based monologues as well, and I can only assume that Louis C.K. is going to deliver the same thing, and hopefully, you know, there are some classic sketches in this era that have existed in Louis C.K. episodes, so hopefully that sort of translates over into the sketches themselves as well.
0: Yep. Absolutely, yeah. So it'll be fun. Good. So look forward to uh, talking again in April. More Saturday Night Live to come as we uh, as we start to wind down the year. But there's still a lot more comedy to talk about.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. So I guess this is it for now. March is go- is behind us, and we we look forward to April. And hopefully Jen will be able to hop back on as well and talk to us about these uh, episodes. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Great. Well, thanks for listening for everyone, and we'll talk to you guys online. back.